Okay, so I'm super excited about this week's interview. I have now had at least five hours worth of conversation with Taryn Adams, who is the creator of Dwarf Fortress. And um, I'm excited to share at least about two hours of that with you <laughs> following um, some technical difficulties on my part. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm just so excited that I had the opportunity to talk with Tarn um, because what he's created with Bay 12 Games and Dwarf Fortress is something truly unique in the annals of history with regards to video games. So without further ado, here is Tarn Adams. One of my favorite things about um, doing research on you was watching the YouTube video you sent me. Um, what was this, uh, What was that guy's name? Um, uh, yeah, Christian. Christian. Yeah. yeah. And um, and you talk about your childhood um, and how you actually. Um, I mean, you you were a child connected to technology far earlier than I feel like people are people are making claims like kids now are the first kids to be so connected with technology. But that's really not true. Yeah. I mean, I, I, thought, I had to speak in math. It's like <laughs> number stumper level one, level three. You got my number. <laughs> Your score is four. Yeah, it's great stuff. <laughs> I mean, I learned how to add numbers together and multiply numbers and three and five tenths it was great i mean we had audio and so forth uh, uh <laughs> such such as it was i certainly think the kids these days have um like they had the internet and we had bulletin board systems and stuff like that and that was that was not the same and i see like my my uh what what are they my cousins once removed like my my cousin's kids have these little tablets that have like these movies slash game things that they watch with cars driving around. And then they can just kind of, I'm talking about like a three-year-old here. can just kind of swipe the window mm -hmm. open at like any time on the car or something. And that's <laughs> like, but then the movie goes on and there's, it's sort of these weird interactive movies, just stuff that I wouldn't have seen growing up. And of course there's all those weird YouTube videos that <laughs> are sort of randomly made by robots for the kids to watch. They're just <laughs> terrifying. So, I mean, I guess I, I mean, I didn't grow up with things that would have uh, made me into whatever the kids are going to become. Uh, but we had our own electronics and we had like the Atari and uh, we had my 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 house. We had uh, personal computers like the, the DOS ones and also mm -hmm. like a trash trash 80 TRS 80 uh, with um, with. Like that had basic on it and some some little programs uh, that we could download. But this was like back then we also typed in <laughs> like we had magazines that had uh -huh. basic code and it was just like fill a few pages on the magazine and you would like type it in <laughs> <laughs> and then it would run and then you could play a little game. And it's weird because you can see like the ending of the game if it has one. Right. It's like right there. You type in like you win. <laughs> period <laughs> like semicolon <laughs> then you put it in it's like not a surprise anymore what it's like when you win but like that hardly mattered right you because the i mean it's like you knowing you win in chess is not like a big deal right mm -hmm. and it even kind of led to our our kind of initial stuff where we'd be hacking these old games 
that we download from the bulletin boards is like changing the text or changing the colors or changing how they work because you realize pretty quick when you're typing in something from a magazine that you don't have to follow its instructions right mm -hmm. like if you understand what's going on you can type in different words you can move the words or whatever and it's just a way of kind of learning uh it all mushes together with everything else i mean learning to read and learning to code at the same time you kind of learn like what does the word print mean to a kid who's five years old who's printing in basic right it's like print and it's like is it something computers do but it has nothing to do with like a person who hasn't used computers would think of print as something completely different it would be like the font or something right of a book they're reading or something right or a printing press mm -hmm. or whatever uh, it just means something different than like display digital characters on a screen is or <laughs> locate like locate is, is a verb that puts something at a location on the screen. It's, yeah, it's just a really strange way of, of running into mm. those words, and I think it's probably made me a strange per person as a result. So uh, when were you born? I was born in 1978. So, so we're not talking like the 90s. We're talking in the early 80s. You were really writing code already for games. Uh, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's like the the oldest games are way older than that, but but <laughs> like they were not. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot going on, right? I mean, there were some interesting games floating around on like like what is it like Illinois or something? There was like the little RPG games were born and stuff, and these little mud mm -hmm. style things in like 1975, and there were some arcade games floating around back then. But it was like, yeah, it was a really weird time to get involved because you're like not too far behind what like is being professionally produced or semi-professionally produced or independently produced as if you have enough time to just kind of plug away at stuff and uh, a lot of people just kind of randomly got involved that way and at the same <laughs> time there were like real businesses growing too like uh, Sierra and other 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 game companies kind of springing up that time that were like these kind of rich and employed lots and lots of people um, and not just kind of programmers but just like people in mail rooms and hint lines and all that kind of stuff <laughs> uh, yeah and and then you have you and your brother who spend I mean you guys really as a form of entertainment for yourselves spent a lot of time creating games too right yeah, it was it was almost like a flip of the coin when we'd, we'd go to school, we'd try and like finish as much homework in class as we could so that we'd kind of free up the day, but not to like go play outside, but to make the big decision, which is kind of like, are we going to play games today? Or are we going to write games today? And I don't, it wasn't like we had a committee, like, decide, and of course we had, like, <laughs> we had, like, we had, like, bristle blocks and hot wheels <laughs> and muscle men and all the other weird things that were toys back then or whatever and so yeah, those were on the table when we were younger especially uh but then there's like yeah it's, it's like you, it just kind of happened that we're like oh now we're playing ultima 3 or now we're we're playing um i don't know like like uh, some weird football game or some random thing right mm -hmm. it's just like it could be anything but then also it's like oh now we're firing up borland like like c or <laughs> we're filing firing up uh uh, a quick basic or we're listening to the the little ping on the modem going like or whatever and then <laughs> go, let's go to walnut creek bbs and see if they have a new version of hack to download or whatever and um it was all just part of the sort of computer ecosystem and i don't remember fighting with my brother over the computer that much or 
or or like arguing about what we were doing. It was just kind of this weird creative haze or something. And uh, <laughs> we have like I still have a lot of our old basic programs. There's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. Um, it's 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 like finding old childhood drawings or something, right? Except <laughs> it's like this is a game called Jack's Rat where it prints a rat on the screen and then you feed it and then it tells you how your rat died. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, and it's not a game. It's just like a, a menu, and you go through. And there's no loop, right? You just answer three questions, and then it pops out a little procedurally generated, like thing about your rat's tumor or whatever. And it's just like, well, that's a horrible little game. And uh, but it was just a day, like not even a day's work. It was just like this. Here's two hours. We did this, and it was just like, yeah. I mean, the 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 same thing that would you know, cause a kid to just draw a picture of their parents or something. It's, <laughs> it's just like, we didn't have a rat. I didn't have pet rats until grad school. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I don't know who Jack is either. Uh, <laughs> just completely random. It makes me think of those, uh, you know, those little paper fortune tellers, you know? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. It's just the computer version of that, you know? Like, uh, it's kind of what it reminds me of, you know, little kids making those. Yeah, the, the, rat, uh, the rat never had a good fortune, though. <laughs> well can you give me some more examples of um some of the games that you kind of play or that you guys made or how they or how they uh the games got more and more advanced as you guys you know got more experience yeah i remember like when the 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 big the first big trend because there's always this thing in like q basic and these other programs where mm -hmm. we had the one that was like this animated sort of martial arts adventure where it wasn't really a game at all but it was like a branching uh, movie that you'd watch of of just people getting to fit fist fights and fighting giant chipmunks and other stuff, <laughs> people with jet packs and things. I, I only vaguely remember the details. Um, and it had about 40 files that would chain into each other. There was a command, a, a basic command called chain that would just take you to the next file because we didn't know how to share variables. I mean, it's probably possible in basic. I don't really know anything about basic anymore, but uh, <laughs> that you could like share variable because you'd run out of memory, right? We'd, we'd have like, we'd hit this, I don't remember if it was 32K or 64K. I mean, this is the, <laughs> these are the numbers we're talking about here, like these little baby files. And you could only have so much code running through the interpreter or whatever, and then it would not make it. So you'd have to chain to a completely different file that mm -hmm. doesn't remember the old file at all. Uh, you could kind of save and load data, but and we did that a little bit later. But um, it's it's like we we had that stage, and then we figured we we when we switched over to C, which is what happened when I was uh, the summer before high school. I I read Teach Yourself C in 21 days, and then uh, <laughs> did it take 21 days? No, 14. Uh, I was e <laughs> I was eager eager to go, and uh, it was I mean it was really I mean it was it was just kind of like oh wow this is gonna make this whole game making thing a little bit easier and it did uh and it was it was it, because my, my father was a programmer i don't i didn't mention it's like uh <laughs> we yeah <laughs> you guys yeah, yeah. bought the computer yourselves yeah yeah um. yeah i mean it didn't just come from nowhere we weren't like <laughs> nagging <laughs> nagging like well we saw the computer on tv can you get us one of those i'm sure that happened but it was like we, for us it was it was like my my father was uh like a sort of I wouldn't say early prog programmer because we're not talking like Ada Lovelace days or anything, but it's like uh, he was um, the first person to kind of um, computerize uh, wastewater treatment 
plants so that they <laughs> could analyze the the data more effectively uh, and keep people safer um and that was that was kind of the uh uh his his sort of entry into into computers mm-hmm. he just he just left school i mean he graduated and 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 just went into uh he was going to either go into beer making or computers <laughs> and uh <laughs> that was the decision so we could have been like hard drinking kids i guess but instead we ended up with computers and if um, only you were dwarves yeah yeah no i mean i could have been <laughs> like tasting the latest microbrew or whatever as a three-year-old but <laughs> I, instead we got uh you know basic and uh so so the the reason i brought this up is because like my my father was working with pascal a bit in at the time i don't know if mm-hmm. people use pascal anymore and fortran and stuff and he tried to teach us a little bit of those but um uh, for whatever reason, I'm not really sure why, because I was like 12 years old, uh, uh, we, we ended up getting a C book instead. We didn't have any idea that people were like using C to write video games or anything. It's just how it how it shook out. And uh, so that's that worked out really well. We, we were um, able to make much larger, more complicated games. And uh, for instance, we had a a basic game uh, called uh, I believe the first name of it was Inertia, which was this <laughs> little pixels. Like we were drawing pixels in basic on the screen, which is just terribly slow. But we had a little, <laughs> so we had, I believe it was one, two, three, four, five, because you make a little T shape and that's a little ship, right? And it could mm-hmm. fly around and leave little pixel mines. It was kind of like those space war game, if people remember their 80s games at all, um, with the gravity and the inertial kind of Newtonian mechanics or whatever, <laughs> and you try and shoot each other and so forth. And then that when we got over to C, when we were like 16, 17 years old, we had like these bigger sort of 32 by 32 procedurally generated ships where it would glue on different wings and so forth and like blow off. Uh, it did like a flood fill algorithm. So if you took like the sh- uh, like a plasma shot or whatever in one of your wings, it would blacken some of the pixels and then flood fill to see if the wing was still connected to the ship. And then it could separate it out into a separate kind of piece and break it off and make it fly away and stuff. Uh, there's all, there's like this kind of evolution that was allowed by the, the, the C programming. And, um, we also had like, I'm just remembering these things like fast graph and diamond wear sound blaster kit and stuff. We had these libraries and like, it's, it's weird thinking of like (laughs) being 16 and 17 years old and like licensing libraries for use in games. You're not going to release (laughs) just because you want to see better, like some better graphics and stuff. But that's what we did. Um, I remember having my mom scream into a microphone because we had this inner city type urban warfare gang thing with, (laughs) I don't remember if it was post-apocalyptic or what, or if it was just based on like those, those eighties TV things or whatever. But we had these, you know, all kinds of gang members, male, female gang members, all shooting each other with Uzis because it was, of course, it was Uzis at the time, right? <laughs> and uh, so we had my mom scream. We we're like, Mom, scream into the microphone. Mom, throw up into the microphone or whatever. <laughs> and we just had this horrible game. Uh, it kind of, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like the Dwarf Fortress Dragon, uh, like, like uh, damage system was uh, like in these games in various degrees because we were playing pen and paper stuff back then. And there was like... Um, cyberpunk was this mm-hmm. was like there's this whole kind of uh um non-hit point damage system about how the gunshots worked and critical wounds and stuff like that it's like we w- we didn't have any of those like role master books back then where it got really kind of out of control but the uh cyberpunk had a nice little system of body parts and critical wounds and so forth that managed to carry over into our little games we were writing ourselves 
and uh, it was just all part of this weird ecosystem of of ideas and games we were playing games we were writing uh movies that we were watching and all of that stuff was just a sort of a stew for us back then i don't think that's really changed that much uh, in terms of how we operate um, and you would you say that a lot of those uh, i mean every game that you and your brother have made since you were kids has the best parts of it do you feel are somewhere in dwarf fortress uh, almost entirely, yeah. I mean, I thought that that pixel ship thing was cool. We haven't made <laughs> blowing up <laughs> pixel ships in uh, in Dwarf Fortress. Although, I mean, I Yet. guess I guess if you considered like how the cave-ins work and so forth, they're kind of use the flood fills the same way. Um, <laughs> but it's like it's not quite what we were thinking at the time. But and and, and there's a, I mean there's a lot of stuff that that hasn't made its way over that has to do with like sci-fi stuff and like our evolution games and stuff like that. Uh, that that didn't didn't make it over and maybe won't who knows i mean things get mm -hmm. strange because like dwarf fortress does suck in um all of the uh the ideas that we have uh <laughs> i mean i guess uh i mean is this is, is this a convenient time to say what dwarf fortress is or shall we hold off i feel like the suspension is great but <laughs> 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 but i i'm I feel like it's worth explaining what Dwarf what Dwarf Fortress is for sure. Yeah, so so we have like um, uh, Dwarf, Dwarf Fortress is the game we're working on now. That's kind of been a culmination of these games we're talking about, and maybe we'll get back to like how we actually got there. But Dwarf Quote, Fortress we're working yeah, on. Yeah, we're working. <laughs> yeah, we're, we, yeah. <laughs> it's an ongoing process for the last sixteen years or so. And uh, my brother and I have been writing this game. It's it's uh, um, a sort of uh, aspires to be a fantasy world simulator where you can kind of create your own fantasy setting that has its own kind of world map and history and so forth. And then you can assume a role within the world, you know, and run it for a time, set the world down. It understands the changes that you've made and, and so forth. And then you can pick it up again in a different role uh, sometime later and, and, and see what, what's happened. Uh, that's the aspirational form of it. What we have now is a colony simulator that 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 takes place in such a world. So you just run uh, like a colony of dwarves uh, <laughs> mining into a mountain, um, making crafts and squabbling with people, drinking and, and so forth. Dancing. Dancing. Yeah, there's dancing, musical instruments and um, poetry and uh, trade and uh, the occasional run in with grizzly bears and other uh critters and out in the forest dwarf eating carps maybe not <laughs> anymore yeah but i think <laughs> yeah they've i mean they the, the carp were were uh formerly <laughs> formerly violent fish that dragged people into the lake and <laughs> ate them and i think that's died down it's one of these things where i think like this is this is <laughs> like we feel out the the community uh and read what they say and it's like the i believe we address the fact that carp had mouths like giant alligators that would <laughs> eat people and drag them into the rivers but uh i, I mean if, if someone were to say no actually that's not fixed we just stopped complaining about it um then that wouldn't surprise me at all but uh, yeah but but what that's really about is i guess 16 years of um of creating a game and then adding layers of nuance as time has gone on i guess that's kind of how i feel the development of dwarf fortress has been i mean because if you've been 
playing for 16 years, you know, it's a very different game, I'm assuming, <laughs> now than, you know, vanilla. Yeah, I mean, the one I was, I mean, because because it's it's been out for 12, and so the one that, you know, like, if you were playing it 16 years ago, you were me and my brother. Oh, yes. And it, it, was, <laughs> and it was like, here is a cliff face on the right-hand side of the screen, here is a dwarf, and you can <laughs> dig little dig-dug tunnels in there. Uh, I believe for a time that you could find these slime pockets that would attack you, um, and... Uh, that didn't last for all that long, but <laughs> <laughs> it's like cave slime or whatever. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's 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 like the the idea of of dwarf fortress kind of being this sort of accreted layers of of geology is not inaccurate, uh, <laughs> and uh, it goes back further than sixteen years. Like way back with basic, we started with um, a game called Drag Slay because you're limited to eight letters at the time like jack's rat maybe the reason that the rat it's belonged to jack was because jack was conveniently four letters <laughs> long so jack's rat is eight letters long and uh the the um uh so drag slay was dragon slayer but eight letters and that was a very simple kind of dnd-esque game uh where you'd go through a sequence of uh, a few fights and then you'd fight a dragon and then you'd fight like 10 more fights and then you'd have a dragon just these like you're fighting a skeleton now <laughs> and uh and y yeah i mean there was not a lot of innovation there i believe it even had like the dnd armor class system and keeping in mind this is something we wrote when it was like 10 years old uh <laughs> and it had like so you'd have like armor class five when you had chain mail and that kind of thing or whatever mm -hmm. and you'd find treasures and fight dragons and we were like at the same time we were playing like our our you know we were very satisfied playing these kind of role playing games uh computer role playing games like the ultimas and so forth which were slowly getting more complicated themselves uh like while we were working and um so we didn't you know think to make things too complicated and we were running into those barriers anyway right so it's like once we got to see we were suddenly like presented with a lot more memory and we could we could suddenly and we also we were just getting older and had seen seen more games and had our own mm -hmm. ideas about what what it meant to generate things right because the roguelite games you could generate maps and you generate items and in games like starflight uh they would generate planets you could generate like a 3d map of a planet and then when it would come in and zoom in and land and then they'd have like this 2d map and you could find life forms and there were procedurally generated randomized life forms on the planets and then you had games like Sim Earth, which had uh, procedural Earth maps that then evolved over time as continents drifted and ice meteors struck them and volcanoes and, and uh, all that kind of thing. And then there mm -hmm. was um, games like Civilization had world maps. Uh, then there were games like Seven Cities of Gold that were like they had the same map every time. I guess I think you could there was a randomized option maybe, but. Uh, you you would but it was just like sort of a big evocative map when you hit it and so we had all these things kind of mushed in our head at once and we were like why can't you make a map like in civilization or starflight but play your kind of ultima style game on it right it's like why mm -hmm. can't you make like a roguelike world map generator or an ultima generator and so we just started doing that and it wasn't long before we had altitude maps and uh, we we had um, villages that were placed and little ogres that would go around and wreck the buildings in the <laughs> in the villages. But there'd also be these caves where there'd be like goblins and other creatures like that that you'd go into. And if 
if they died, it would save the name of your character so they could make fun of you when you meet them again. And they'd, <laughs> they'd put the, uh, the skull of your character outside of the, uh, the entrance to the cave and you'd get a nice little pile going because the, um, the character that killed you would gain a level in the game and become uh, more difficult. They'd have like, I think we had little weapon skills back then uh, in that one. Um, we're talking now, like this is the C version of Drag Slay. So it starts to blend for like 93, 94, 95, mm -hmm. 96. And I think around 97 is when we finally stopped. And that was when I, I was in um, undergrad. I just started at, at University of Washington at mm -hmm. that point. And this is all sort of history of Dwarf Fortress stuff. All just leads into what, what Dwarf <laughs> Fortress became. Um, because uh, when I was, um, uh, I had, we had kind of that big space game going and the big RPG going when I was an undergrad. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of got serious about mathematics for like a whole year in there and didn't really do a lot of programming. That was uh, when I was doing like grad school applications and all that kind of stuff. Um, it actually, you know, became a... a, a, a an issue of time uh, and so <laughs> forth and maybe an issue of thinking about getting serious about being a mathematician which lasted like six months um, but I still went to grad school right I went down to California and uh, at that point I just ended up with a lot of free time again um, it, it's the like I, I shouldn't have ended up with a lot of free time because if I had <laughs> been more serious about my classes and so forth. But you need to have a hobby. Everyone in grad school had a hobby, whether they were mm -hmm. riding unicycles or juggling or whatever. Right. There was a lot of different uh, things going on down there. And for me, it was just going back to the computer again. And um, because of how kind of like I wasn't used to studying I wasn't used to taking notes uh, I mean I never took notes in college I never took notes in high school or whatever and then when I hit grad school I was like I really need all of these study habits that people have been diligently <laughs> practicing for their whole lives up to this point and now I'm like I you know I was just you know falling behind um, failed mm -hmm. my qualifying exams eventually but I didn't know it at the time I was still in my first year there and I was uh, just kind of struggling with things and so uh, really out of character for me, especially at the time, uh, was creating a website. Like, I still don't play multiplayer games and <laughs> go to chat rooms and stuff like that. So it's, like, really weird. And I still can't quite get my head around the frame of mind I was in back in 2000. December of 2000. <laughs> this was 18 years ago. December of 2000 created the Bay 12 Games website and a forum, which is even stranger, right? And put up um, <laughs> the game we were working on at the time, uh, my brother and I. Uh, and he was living back up in Washington. We just kind of correspond by email, which was, you know, not something we had until I got to school um, in at University of Washington. We started sending emails, uh, and I had this this uh, the game we were working on at the time was Slaves to Armok, God of Blood, <laughs> which was a kind of uh, graphical version of what we had wanted to do because we part of making the game more interesting and making these nice looking maps and so forth was that it was just we wanted it to be visually interesting too we wanted to make like you know basically spore type critters before spore existed or whatever like procedurally generate the creatures too and we ended up doing that we have like these weird quadrupeds with weird texture <laughs> patterns they all look blocky and terrible but they can kind of shamble toward you in that game and uh, there were procedural animations you could like walk on your hands or walk on one hand and one leg and they looked terrible i'm not saying we had like a te <laughs> technological revolution here it was just a very weird way of thinking about the game because like 
the drag sleigh game, the C one, was put together well and sort of built up over time, but we didn't really attain some of our big goals. We wanted to have kind of these flourishing sort of civilizations and, and NPC characters that were interesting and so forth. Never really got to that. So we're like, if we want to attain these things, we're like, well, let's start from the bottom up. You know, let's let's build what it really means to have a creature, right? And so we have this really complicated definition for creatures with materials and materials make up tissues and they all have like weird boiling points and flash <laughs> points and the tissue can have a growth coming out of it which would be hair in the case of say your arm and then like what color is that uh one when what how curly is it how dense is it and we built up this whole thing and had this really kind of creepy damage system that led to like these procedural weird spell definitions and stuff and i think we we were we were just starting out with that, so we had some hard-coded ones that, like, you could remove the skin from somebody and it would change their texture to their muscle texture or whatever. <laughs> it was very disgusting. Or you could teleport their nose. There was the teleport body part spell, which uh -huh. would take a body part from the tree, sever it, and then you could move it to a different location. <laughs> um, and, and, and it, you know, created the little textures and so forth. And it, it's the kind of thing that you can imagine them, you know, doing with games today, um, as they've started bifurcating people and so forth. But it was weird back then. It was something you didn't really see much of or any of. And uh, so we, but we just had this weird sort of bottom-up approach. And the strange thing about that is like, we never had a town in that game. We never really had other characters that you could meet or, meet or talk to. But we did have a like, calculate the position that the arrow you're firing in a windstorm is going to land at using like <laughs> a kind of like uh, approximation for a partial differential equation or whatever weird stuff that we were doing at the time and that's not a good idea um and that that game was just kind of trundling along right we were releasing it on the internet and there were people playing it and look i mean <laughs> playing is such a strong word they were just kind of like watching the process and eager for um something to materialize right because they saw that we were working and that we were serious and that we had um you know we were able to produce what we said we were going to produce even if the ideas that we had were strange and not really going anywhere mm -hmm. so we had people following us um you know and by the by the time uh, we we get to Dwarf Fortress. There's you know a couple hundred people on there, and uh, but at the same time we felt sort of obligated and and just because of our childhood really and how we produced all those little games, we released side projects. Right, we had a lot of side projects on there. Um, nothing that ever really got traction. The only ones that anybody listening to this thing might have heard of are uh, Liberal Crime Squad and World War One Medic. Uh, World War One Medic got on a CD that was shipped with Computer Gaming World. And uh, Liberal Crime <laughs> Squad has, has floated around the internet a bit. Uh, these are all just little free games. Um, and uh, they never took more than like a few weeks to write, right? Uh, just put one up and people could play it. And then we go back to Slaves to Armok, God of Blood, and you know, just spill some life back into that again. <laughs> and so we had one we were working on in uh, 2002. In October, we just like um, Zach and I are working on this game called Mutant Miner, which was just going to be a, a couple weeks uh, project where it's basically like take, um, there was an old game called VGA Miner where you'd go down a mine shaft and dig out these kind of dig dug style tunnels and you kind of go down the screen is deeper in the mine and you'd find um, rocks and things down there and there were flooding hazards and so forth. I mean, there was a, some whole kind of plot about 
you like you're getting married or something you had to end up putting dynamite under the outhouse to get the wedding ring out or something but uh, <laughs> I don't really recall but that was kind of the game right and we're that was VGA minor and so we took that and thought about dig dug and some other games and we're like okay I want to make a mining game like that because there weren't mining games this is like way before Minecraft and Terraria and things like that there just weren't a whole lot of games about mining through a space like that and uh, we wanted to to play around with the idea so the idea was that you would go down mine find minerals but also find like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle mutagen canisters bring them back to a kind of vat you could throw <laughs> yourself in and grow more arms to carry more pickaxes to mine faster and there it's a game loop right that's that's interactive entertainment at its best and uh, so that was a silly game and we eventually had the really terrible idea that you could have additional miners. Um, and I don't know where that idea came from because it was very bad because the game was turn-based and you would switch between the miners turn, like between turns. So you're like, click down <laughs> and then it pops the camera over, click down. And then you just, so you'd end up sort of getting a seizure, right? Just popping back and forth, back and forth, back and forth <laughs> between these different views. Um, and it was like, we're, we're just like, ah, you know, this game's not working. And so I was thinking about it for a while, call up Zach, and we had this kind of epic three-day, I mean, there was sleeping involved, but it was basically a three-day phone call. <laughs> I don't know what happened to work or if this was during the summer. Oh, no, it was October, so no, I had no excuse. I was actually shirking whatever duties I had. At, uh, <laughs> um, maybe it happened on the weekend, a long weekend. I'll, I'll, yeah, yeah, the long weekend, yes. Okay, and uh, mm -hmm. so we had mm -hmm. this call, and uh, <laughs> we, we came to the conclusion, okay, the game's got to be real-time. And it's going to be about dwarves digging into a mountain and you carve out like little living spaces because we were kind of thinking with Mutant Miner, we saw the little buildings at the top where you played with your picks and mutagen and stuff. We we're like, it's cool to have this little sort of uh, colony or whatever. And it's cool. Like dwarves do that. Right. And so you dig into this uh, mountain and you make little workshops and, and make crafts and things out of the minerals that you find. And then because they're dwarves, they eventually delve too greedily and too deep and, you know, get roasted by something or something otherwise bad happens <laughs> to them. And then the kind of the, the neat idea we had is that you'd go in there playing a traditional roguelike turn-based adventure game after this real-time game and kind of find the remnants of your dwarven civilization along with, like, whatever caused them to go away, which is what makes it a kind of roguelike game. There might be a balrog in there or orcs or whatever. And uh, you so you could find like the treasures and, and it would generate diaries and stuff that your mm -hmm. dwarves left. And so your, your first part of the game would set the maximum score you could attain of like archaeological discovery. And then when you actually play through the one adventure, you'd get as many points as you could out of that maximum score. And then there's like an actual score list and you put three letters or whatever, like the arcade. It's like you got 1,233 points in Dwarf Fortress. And it's here's <laughs> it on the list, and can you beat your friends or whatever? And that was the idea. I mean, it, it, and that's still a game that you could write in a you know a couple months or whatever, right? I mean, it'd be funny if someone attempted to do like the <laughs> like what Dwarf Fortress would have been like if they had actually stuck with the original design document. And uh, <laughs> and and that's like I mean, it's, so it's a neat a neat little project. And start in October, kind of finish it by Christmas break or something was the plan. Uh, get that up and then go back to Armok and kind of just whittling away at that and what we noticed because Dwarf Fortress is a text graphics game and not a 3D graphics game uh, that 
we had a lot of fun just adding idea like you could you can add four ideas in a day now you don't have to draw anything and <laughs> you know some you know it's like here it goes now we've got all these workshops and these mining dwarves and we all we had that in a couple days right it's like what what is stopping you from doing that in just a few days and there they are and then we're like oh this is cool we need to make the like why not make the 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 fighting with orcs or whatever it was going to be like um drag slay right just do the body part damage systems and all this other cool stuff just just throw it in there throw it in there what does inventory look like do you have to make little dwarven soldiers all of a sudden and what about like who these dwarves are right because in mutant minor no one had names but these dwarves got names really quickly and uh you know and it made them into little characters right and it's like mm -hmm. all all of the things that we learned from our other games about how to sort of do these emergent narrative and stuff and like there's this whole other kind of branch of the conversation about how drag slay worked w when we got to the C version where Zach and I were passing these notebooks around that had chapters that we'd write in like a fantasy story. And then we'd think like, how can we make this story appear in the computer? And like, what are the mechanics we need to s make this happen? Hmm. And then we'd, put them in the game and then lo and behold you know suddenly your emergent narratives are way better because you have these narratively interesting moments happening in your game uh that you're thinking about you know how consciously how do i produce these things and that's um that's like that's kind of a, a becoming or has become or is a uh, sort of traditional sort of game tool now and like triple a they have things like user stories and stuff like that or whatever um uh, player moments like how do we generate story moments or whatever and uh, mm -hmm. and it's, and it's also ties back into like how procedural generation works. Like if you want to make a medieval-looking town, you draw a bunch of them on a tablet first, right? And then you say like, how do I make one of these? And then you come up with rules that that you know make it happen. And it's, it's, so doing a story, it's like maybe it can work the same way. You write down a story and say, how can I make this happen? Of course, in practice, it doesn't work quite so cleanly <laughs> because <laughs> like if a story, if you say like you know the 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 um the cleric nodded knowingly after hearing that bit of wisdom from the uh from the beggar or something i mean how do you get that to happen in a game procedurally where it actually isn't i mean it's not a scripted moment but it's like the cleric realized that the bit of wisdom that they they heard was an actual bit of wisdom and they we're able to, you know, emote using the nodding action, blah, 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 or whatever. And it's like, mm -hmm. I mean, you can kind of build up what that means, but also, I mean, you need like this whole sort of like ontological framework to understand what a good idea is or whatever. <laughs> and, you know, uh, we're, we're getting there. We're, we're and slowly, that's, and, yeah. <laughs> and that's, the, so you meant uh, October to December of 20... Uh, 2002. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was 16 years ago. That's where the 16 years figure comes from that we're rolling up on yeah. here. <laughs> because the, the Dwarf Fortress release anniversary was on uh, August 8th. So that was just a week ago. Um, was our 12th year anniversary for our release. But our anniversary for sort of the conception of Dwarf Fortress, I'd throw more in the October... We, I, I mean, I'd have to go back and look. I don't remember early October, late October. I'm not sure if there's <laughs> even any evidence anymore of like when that happened precisely. Prob <laughs> probably there is, but because um, it was it was a secret at first. Um, but then in 2004, or so we told people we were working on this Dwarf Fortress game, which we were still working on <laughs> two years <laughs> later, because it had started like sucking the ideas from Armok like a black hole. Just like it was so easy to add things, like I was saying that. 
it started to borrow from Armok. It's just like mm -hmm. Armok had this tissue idea. That didn't happen for a while. I think that was post-release for Dwarf Fortress, but it eventually got in the game. We've got hair in Dwarf Fortress. Now, I don't remember if it talks about how curly your arm hair is, so there's still a future struggle. But um, <laughs> it, it does know what your arm hair is made out of. It knows what color it is. Uh, it, it guess it knows how long it is. That's a strange thing to care about, but it's there. Um, and why not? Um, and of course, cue, cue all audience members saying like, here are 20 reasons why not to add arm hair to your game. Uh, the first being that it's a waste of time and you should work on other things. Uh, this is true, but it still happened. Uh, I think <laughs> almost, almost as kind of like an, ar uh, uh, an homage to Armok or whatever. But the important things from Armok made their way over too. Uh, we have procedural creatures uh, mm -hmm. that, that are generated in Dwarf Fortress. Um, if you want to see like fan art for those, just search for Forgotten Beast uh, on um, Google Image Search and you'll get pages of drawings of cool things uh, that people have drawn. And it's, 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 it's particularly gratifying because uh, when Zach and I were growing up, when we were playing Starflight, that, that space exploration game with the procedural mm -hmm. life forms, we had these, um, I forgot what they're called, like sto scholastic notebooks or something, the ones with the mottled black and white pattern. Um, yeah. And uh, we had like a bunch of those and we'd fill them with drawings of procedural creatures, which were in Starflight was basically just a Mad Libs paragraph with that had like, here's 20 choices of an adjective and so forth. Uh, paired with a like little 12 by 12 or something icon on screen for like this is a amoeba like life form or this is a bipedal life form but then it would be like this is a bipedal life form that has an ambling gait and fuzzy antenna right and so we're like oh cool let's draw that all right <laughs> and that's it's like just just enough information to get your brain running on that stuff right and so dwarf fortress has that kind of thing now um, where it, it gives you a paragraph description but of course the paragraph description is also backed up by like all of the um, sort of mechanical stuff we were talking about like body parts and tissues mm -hmm. and modes of, of attacking and that kind of thing that uh, fit into the, the computer game um, and the mechanical side of it uh, so yeah um, that's, that's where my train of thought derails but I think no. we, uh, <laughs> that, yeah go ahead one of my favorite things is that you guys haven't um, moved towards a traditional 3D graphics game. The game still is. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. The, the, yeah. It's the, still uh, the modding community, of course, has done amazing things uh, there. The modding community has mm -hmm. produced tile sets, which make it playable for people. Uh, uh, Shout like out the, to the Lazy yeah. Noob Pack. That's how I played it the first time. Yeah, that's uh, my many failures at Dwarf Fortress. And then there's <laughs> then there's Stone Sense, which makes it isometric, and then mm -hmm. there's the ongoing uh, Armok Vision project, which makes it 3D. Uh, oh. So I mean, that's that's. Uh, um, so it's like, why would we make it 3D? Because we'd just be <laughs> wasting our time doing a horrible job when uh, you know there's people out there that are talented, doing interesting things with it, and. Um, you know, they all share with each other. We share the game. It's it's available for free up on the website, and uh, it's it's like uh, yeah. So it's like I mean, at the same time, we like we have little side projects we work on that are kind of run the the gamut of of sort of graphical options and other weird things. Not that we're trying to make things look nice, but it's like uh, we have we have plenty of side projects unreleased 
we, we I don't think we've released a major side project since Dwarf Fortress came out. It's like it's just <laughs> a it's a strange thing, right? Because the standards change or whatever, like once you get into an art museum or whatever, you're like, do I really <laughs> want to like release these things? And they're all like, you know, we don't know if this is like the juvenilia of this artist, but they apparently released this game when they were 40 years old. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like it doesn't, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a strange set of expectations. I may only, only half care about that, but it's like, uh, uh, yeah, so we, we haven't finished anything uh, and released, and plus polishing a project as anyone will tell you is one of the more annoying parts of game development so why do that if you don't have to it's just kind of like a continuation of what zach and i did as kids and we do it sort of on our free time uh mm -hmm. and uh yeah so there's there's uh but for dwarf fortress we we had a thing like a like years and years and years ago zach drew up like a tile set and stuff and we we're thinking about packing one in but this kind of coincided with the rise of really good community tile sets and stuff. And then there's like, there's like this whole other thing of like, would we want to sort of maintain a kind of vanilla tile set that we just kind of source from the community or whatever. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like I don't even know how we'd pick one. Right. I mean, that's, just, <laughs> that's really hard. It's like things get a little dicey there, but, um, but but there's uh, but there's definitely something to be said about major milestones in the game um, and how it's uh, progressed over the last 14 years of public release, right? Yeah, well, 12, 12. It's like a... The, 12, the, I'm the sorry. Average, I told you I'm bad with numbers. <laughs> well, the average of 12 and 16, you're just great at averaging things. <laughs> you're too kind. <laughs> in a stupid way, too. But uh, <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, so the... the uh, let's see, major... Yeah, I mean, there were, there were... So there's the release of the game in 2006... And um, like that, that was, you know, it was it was kind of this weird sort of life changing event uh, <laughs> where whereas like we we were we were kind of busking for for money and people would actually give us money. And we had a community. Right. All of a sudden. Mm -hmm. And and so now we're able to work on this game and like we start to like <laughs> there's just horrible bugs with it. Uh, from the beginning, <laughs> this is a tradition of Dwarf Fortress. It's never not been, you know, compromised by certain bugs and so forth. And in the early versions, when it was 2D, meaning just one slice of ASCII text landscape, you can start <laughs> to think about, like, what is... And, and the slice is, like, looking down, like Google Maps or something, not a cross-section like the Dig Dug games. Because in a cross-section mm -hmm. game, you can kind of think of, like, well, water flows downhill, right? That's easy to manage. But how do you do, <laughs> how do, you do water in this, this looking down version? Because we have this thing where you mine into a cliff face, you eventually hit a river, and the river has this kind of Nile pattern to it where it would seasonally flood... And so the water would come out from the river into like these floor tiles and it would be dangerous for dwarves because they, they could drown in the in the river. But you could also do things like dig channels and place bridges to like make the water go where you want to go and also walk over the water when, um, to, you know, safely with a bridge. And you start to get into this thing of like if you have water in a channel that goes under a bridge, you don't want to print it, but the water's still there flowing, but the water can't flow up on the bank, and you start to get to weirder edge cases, right, which mm -hmm. I don't want to try and verbally describe because you'd have to, like, draw them with a marker or whatever. It is. <laughs> and it's like it really is just a mess, right? 2D fluids are, uh, like, looking down and just getting them to flow right, 
and all that kind of stuff, we eventually decided like a year or so into the after the release, you know, we're going to and this is kind of a Dwarf Fortress tradition. We're going to fix this problem with the fluids, but we're going to fix it with just absolutely blowing up the game and turning it into something different. <laughs> and so we're going to add three dimensions. Uh, and that's what we did. We, we made the game into a 3D slices that you could look at. And now water flows down. And if you want to dig a channel, it actually occurs at a different Z altitude. And, uh, you know, if you want to build a bridge, it exists at one altitude and the water exists underneath it. Uh, and it all just worked, right? And uh, we even threw in a little pressure thing so that water could flow up the other side of the tube um, and, and that kind of thing. Uh, it's all really cool. And uh, that was like a, the first big attempt at updating a piece of software like that. We had never really done that before. Armok had mm -hmm. big uh, changes, but it was never really a game to begin with. So if the big change was crap, it just didn't matter. But now we wanted to take something that was starting to have thousands of people play it and turn it into this other game and carry them along and also have them wait <laughs> for for <laughs> this update, which, I mean, it sounds weird, um, like maybe even mentioning that nowadays because there are like tons of patches like that and tons of like um, games that operate on systems like that now, but this just wasn't terribly common at the time mm -hmm. outside of maybe like the roguelike community, which is kind of where we had a whole anchor in that. So it's, I mean, it, maybe it helped us keep our audience in the beginning, actually having that kind of um, uh, mindset, like people used to like those kind of weights for changes. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, but we, then it worked, right? We did this, this release and then, um, uh, other kind of milestones like that are like the we had this history generation where, you know, you generate a you know, couple hundred or more years of history in your world and then you'd play the <laughs> play the game after that. Right. But then history would sort of stop. There'd be like no births. Uh, there'd be no <laughs> like um, new sort of uh, takeovers of sites by armies or beasts running around or anything happening. And one of the big releases that uh, I, the dates all get fuzzier and fuzzier, it'd be something like 2012 mm -hmm. or 2014 or something like that, was activating the world after you begin playing. So that there's, when you're running your colony and making goblets and so forth, there's a whole world worth of things going on. Um, thousand or so, like, things moving around like particles, but they're like, I'm a traveling bard moving from one town to another. All of that stuff is going on. There's nothing faked about that in Dwarf Fortress. And uh, yeah, so, so, so we'll assume that the, yeah, the Z coordinate is, the Z coordinate was the first um, big uh, kind of change that the community uh, went through. And then, yeah, I think, I think it was, uh, I'm totally blanking on whether it was 2012 or 2014, <laughs> but another, another example of like a, a big change that, uh, that we had in, in Dwarf Fortress was like you have your uh, like we talked about world like your world history a little bit right mm -hmm. like like in Dwarf Fortress you create this fantasy world it runs two three hundred years of history however much patience you have right I mean we have a person that ran 10,000 years <laughs> uh, I'm still not sure how that works but because um, they were interested in libraries and looking at how the the books changed but the uh, hmm. In any case, you can you run this history, you stop the history, and you start a dwarf fortress, right? But up until that, the unknown year of 2012 or 2014 or whatever, the history stopped basically once you um, 
once you started playing the game, right? Because it can't run this sort of abstract hi history simulation while you're playing. Mm -hmm. And so whenever, like, you defeated the Goblin General or whatever, that was kind of it for that Goblin General for their whole civilization, and they just wouldn't have another one. And the Goblins would all slowly disappear from the earth it was kind of like the sort of fading of the elves and stuff from tolkien but it was the whole world it was just like birth, birth stop like position uh, like placing people in government positions stops um people don't move there are no more invasions except for your fortress or whatever and so we decided i mean we it was part of the plan the whole time to change that but like actually doing it as a whole other thing and that ended up taking 26 months wow that was the long the longest wait we've ever had people endure is a little over two years and uh amazingly i mean people just you know they they we we, we kept them up to date on what we were doing and by that time that was you know this is after like you know either six or eight years of dwarf fortress sort of releasing and kind of keeping our promises and so forth so people knew we were good for it we we're just like hey we're gonna work on this um gonna take a while not we didn't we weren't sure <laughs> i mean we, we 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 got that wrong we thought it was gonna take a year obviously or something and we just were wrong about that and but Dwarf fortress um, is only supposed to take two months so yes <laughs> so it's a consistent failure in that regard and we, uh so it's, it's been good i mean but 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 they followed us along for that one and that was a big one and that yeah. that one worked really well and now what we're kind of looking forward to in this, you know, up maybe starting around the end of the year is this whole thing that now we know how it works, right? We're just calling it the big wait. And, you know, maybe it'll be two years, right? This time when we're going to do um, procedural creation myths and randomized kind of magic systems mm -hmm. that are kind of consistent um, in a way that, you know, they wouldn't be if you were just like, here's different ranges on your fireball or whatever. It's like it, it would, you know, really make a consistent fantasy setting. Right. Mm -hmm. And part of what it means to be in a fantasy setting is that there's some kind of supernatural thread through the universe. Right. And that's what we're shooting for. We're going to try and make Dwarf Fortress have, like two different worlds would just be very, very different from each other. You know, one might relate to how there's, you know, kind of, kind of one island that rose from the sea and that's where everybody lives and that there's magic systems that are, are based on, on uh, weather and, and rivers and things. And there's the giant tortoise that holds <laughs> up the earth and maybe it can poke its head around to visit or something like that. <laughs> and then there'd be another world that was like, in the time before time, there was just a, a lake of dry mud or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then the flowers sprang from that because of what the celestial ibis did or whatever. And that would be a different story, right? It would be a, a maybe a world where people venerated flowers. Whereas over in our island world, flowers are just things that grow on the island and people are like, you know, cool. I like flowers for regular reasons, but <laughs> I can't I can't take a flower and make the harvest grow or I can't make the flower and tie it into like a little wreath that I put on my head and now I my headache is cured or something. Um so it's it's like this this like whether you're speaking to a game designer or not, like saying that is our next thing is just kind of pie in the sky stuff. Mm except like we're good for it. I mean, we're, we, it's been a while and we're, you know, we're going to do it. 
Uh, we we like like a couple of years ago at GDC, we showed like this the prototype myth generator that demonstrated how you can take like mythological objects like these creatures and cosmic eggs and chaos that's either formed from like fire or monsters or something and then the different uh, sort of god concepts you can have and and early races of type titan type creatures or maybe you don't have that and it's just a bunch of sort of nature spirits in the beginning or whatever right there's all kinds of different concepts of how it can work and whether it's a cyclic type of thing or whether or not you're headed toward one apocalyptic oblivion and then the game would actually be over because there is no universe anymore, right? Mm -hmm. And then how you can take those sort of broad strokes and then take the sort of conceptual ideas within them and then form the little bits. Like this is how the sort of operatic singing magic works in this universe because the whole uh, universe is based around sound or something like that, right? But then you you drill down into the details of what does it mean to miscast a singing spell, right? And that can be like maybe you, uh, you know, just get a bad cough for a few days or maybe you <laughs> cough up a lung, right? I mean, it's it's hard to say. Uh, and then you just, you know, you can set up, you know, get to work with your usual balancing and so forth of like, you'd, you'd have like the stronger spell effects that make you cough up a lung if you screw them up. And then the not so strong ones that just make you get a bad cough. And <laughs> you don't have to make the balance perfect because what it means to be in a fantasy universe is that it's unbalanced by something, right? That's it's it compared to the real world. We are in a state of unbalance because there's magic or something. Right. And and so as long as the game can recognize systemically what's going on and then make the game react so that, you know, suddenly operatic singers are, um, you know, sort of a, a powerful force in this world or maybe they're a persecuted force. It depends on kind of like what their magic does. But as long as you feel like things are reacting and then you kind of get this sort of thing that springs up and it's like maybe I'm reading a cheap book now. A really cheap book but uh you know it would be um a library of tens of thousands of terrible books to read and that's what we're trying to give people can you hear me uh, i can hear you okay good can you can you hear me yes it's like i think it's actually on my end it's i, I think my, I, my 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 connection keeps dropping because you come back and so I think it's on my uh, end, and I have two roommates that I think are playing video games on the internet. <laughs> well, that's appropriate, appropriate enough. Um, but, so yeah, I don't know, like yeah, how you can get my attention. I'm very good at rambling. I could just ramble for an hour because it's not like notice. I lost you, and then I came back, and you were still talking. I came back in at operatic singers, and I was like, "Fuck, that sounds so interesting." <laughs> <laughs> well, you can go when you're editing; you'll get right. a chance to listen back to what's going on. <laughs> Um, um, but it does it does it does make your job of asking follow up questions complicated. Well, I kind of know where I want to go from here, pretty much, because we've kind of now gone through Dwarf Fortress up to its current state. You've talked about Dwarf Fortress now extensively, and kind of the ways in which it's changed and what they can look forward to. Um, and you kind of offhandedly mentioned it earlier, but you you mentioned the fact that you guys were included in an art museum um, for Dwarf Fortress. Yes, and, that's correct. Uh, and I think that I, <laughs> so, I, I'm really interested in this story. 
Yeah, so so that that was that was kind of a uh, a um, a culmination of a, a series of events, right? So we we released the game, and uh, it 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 doesn't blow up, but it 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 kind of like a, what is a word that's slightly stronger than sputtering, right? It it, it chugs, it chugs, <laughs> chugs. it continues word. to chug along, right? And and. Uh, you know, now we're making $800 a month. Now we're making $1,000 a month. Now we're making $1,200 a month. And, you know, it's not it's not enough for two people to live on, but it's enough for me to kind of scrape by uh, at first. And so I went full time mm-hmm. and uh, in, in a year afterward. And, of course, uh, Texas A&M, uh, which we haven't talked about, no. that was where <laughs> I did my my uh, my postdoc at, at, at after after I left Stanford. I somehow was still clinging to this this math thing while working on Dwarf Fortress, <laughs> and uh, ended up at a at a postdoc at at Texas A and M, and the uh, like. I was clear though, like I was not going to be able to continue on in math. I just wasn't, you know, working long enough hours on it. And um, nicely, they let me stick around and teach uh, business math and other other classes that uh, are enjoyed the campus round by uh, each student that has to take them, th- which is all of them. It was a specific bane of my existence in my time <laughs> at Texas A&M. And although our paths did not overlap, I don't think. What year was that when you were teaching? Yeah, uh, 2000, 2005, 6, 7. No, I didn't get here until 2010. So we didn't quite overlap, but my favorite thing was reading your AMA on Reddit and somebody mm-hmm. saying that they couldn't believe that their Math 141 TA was doing a, a, <laughs> an AMA <laughs> on Reddit. <laughs> and yeah, that was so cool because, I mean, that was really cool because, like, like uh, when I released the game, that was before um, my my second year began there. So when I started my second year... Dwarf Fortress was already out and it had only been out for like uh, some weeks before classes started and I get into <laughs> class and people have played it. And so I was like, I, I was, I like, I had students in my class that play my games that would come to my office hours and just talk about video games all of a sudden. That was like, I, that wasn't what I was my first year there, but that's <laughs> what I was my second year there. It's like people just talking about video games and stuff. And it was a really, it was a, it was just a fun time teaching three classes you know uh, uh, was it semesters or quarters i don't even remember yes yeah, but it, it was three because i yeah, i've been at both like like back and forth and it just gets really hard to remember and um, <laughs> so it's like yeah so 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 three some three classes a semester and like people in every class have played the game or whatever and there's just like it gets to be a very entertaining like yelling back and forth classroom environment and stuff <laughs> hopefully not to the detriment of the education of the people there but um i think it was fine and uh, yeah so 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 like there's this whole thing going on right where the game is is like be it's like becoming a little more popular there's enough people around they're kind of supporting um uh, me going f- uh, full-time and then that that coincided and what i'm getting to is like that coincided with like a whole sort of um, press noticing the game, right? It's like oh. now we get interviews for like game magazines. Now 
Like, I remember, like, just a couple months after the release, I think it was, like, we get a, a Gamers with Jobs podcast. Neither of us had been in any public recordings of any kind in our lives, my brother and I, <laughs> on this joint podcast. And, like, we just, like, like my brother froze up, and then I was sitting there, like, not saying anything for 10 seconds. And I was like, ah, office hour power. I will start talking now or whatever. And it's like, <laughs> I just started blabbering on. And, so was, like, office hours in that podcast experience just broke me. It turned me into, like, this rambling blabber mouth where I was a very quiet child you know like I was saying no multiplayer games no chat rooms for me mm -hmm. nothing like that but now I'm just like blah 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 <laughs> and yeah it's just it just comes out of those kind of crucible experiences where if you like you have like 10 doe-eyed students like staring at you like tell me about calculus now and it's just like okay I'll tell you about calculus now <laughs> Like here's, it's it's just yeah. I mean, you either you you either yeah. I don't. I I didn't really see anyone fail to get that in grad school. It seems like something that you just have to get or not. Um, right. And uh, yeah. So 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 we get these things like this podcast, and then now we're getting this thing. And then suddenly this um, uh, got approached by uh, Jonah Weiner from the the he's like the New York Times Magazine and Rolling Stone. He mostly does music mm -hmm. articles, right? Like like these kind of profiles of of musicians, and but his friend who I who worked at like the IT department somewhere it was just this guy he knew in New York or whatever. One of his friends uh, was of course a Dwarf Fortress player, right? And so it was like you know you should check this out because if you you know you've got this whole computer game industry or whatever, which is mm -hmm. a big thing now and in entertainment and so forth. And here's something really weird that's going on in the computer game industry that you might want to check out. So he actually came over here and stayed in town in the little hotel in town. And like, like we're in the middle of nowhere, Silverdale, Washington, uh, west of Seattle, across the water on a ferry boat. And uh, he came and stayed in the little hotel here and basically lived at my apartment for five days or however many days it was. Right. So why that the, the New York Times magazine article about Dwarf Fortress like references our refrigerator and stuff mm -hmm. like what was in there, even though we left that stuff there for him. You know, it wasn't like our food or whatever. I have. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not going to air all my grievances, but um, <laughs> it's like, yeah, but that was that was a it was it was like a really weird experience. Right. And we have like like we made the the, the graphics for that article was like ASCII versions of Zach and mm -hmm. I's faces. And like we made that and then it got put in the New York Times magazine or whatever. It's just really strange. And, um, <laughs> and like we made it for them by making like this weird like photo to text thing that I still have or whatever. It's just very strange that all of that happened. But what happened after that <laughs> was like, we get, okay, so now we're in like the New York times magazine. And like, uh, when, when at the same time, the museum of modern art in New York, the MoMA was like, we want to start putting video games in museums. And so when they get people together to talk about like, um, you know, who, who should get in or whatever, then, um, you know, we have like this sort of New York, very slight, uh, sort of uh, cultural cachet now or whatever you'd call it where a few people in those circles including the IT guy at the MoMA <laughs> naturally <laughs> has played played the game and I, I think they talked to Jonah about it and then there's also um, uh, the um, the person that runs 256 which was a, a uh, conference in Brooklyn also had a PBS like games hour station our, our games like like program about tech and games or whatever 
and uh, I'm totally blanking on his name right now, which is why I'm, I'm like listing off all of his accomplishments. And I'm like, I see your face. What is your name? And it's like because <laughs> this is like seven years ago or whatever, and it's like this is like so now I've yeah now I'm being rude. But um, no. so so they got together at a coffee shop with I th- and I'm just making part of this story up. I think they got together at a coffee shop. I think that's what happened with the um, <laughs> pa- pa- Paula Antonelli, who's the uh, curator design at the museum. Uh, and they're like, here's our list of 14 games or whatever. And they had to, like a wish list of, of 40 games. And they're like, here, here are 14 games, seven old ones, seven newer ones uh, that, you know, would be cool for the museum. And there was like this uh, missing a thread of this because we were in a temporary exhibit called like Talk, Talk, Talk or something. And that's mm-hmm. kind of how we got tied in with the 256 thing and how we kind of like they printed this giant dwarf fortress map like 12 feet <laughs> tall and put it on the wall in the in the museum at the time. But that was just like a little couple months exhibit or something. And so, yeah, it's just all. But that came out of the New York Times article. Right. So there's just like this circle of New York stuff going on. And suddenly you're in like permanently acquired by the MoMA. That's how it works. And uh, yeah, that's like we were you know, like there's there's Vincent Van Gogh's Starry Night. And there's a little video monitor showing Dwarf Fortress. It's like, OK, well, it's like we'll go for that. Uh, and uh, I don't think I don't know that our monitor is always showing because they've got 40 games now. I think they like cycle and stuff or mm-hmm. whatever so i have no idea if you could like go to the moment now and like see the little video but it was it was funny because like how do you show dwarf fortress because they have like games there um like um say take passage or something right it's like you can play that game with a joystick you walk around you get old and then you die i think that's how the game works right and uh so it's a little joystick game you just move around but dwarf fortress you like would you would you give someone like a keyboard and like here are the 80 keystrokes you need to know to start this game or whatever <laughs> and uh so they just they had um uh it was one of the one of the people um uh and i'm gonna start getting names backwards here between like captain duck and 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 i th- believe it was captain duck did the uh video tutorials for dwarf fortress and produced a video that um uh of of like playing and then and then zach and i kind of i believe zach and i wrote the script for it of like how (laughs) what it should say like for the captions and so there's like a five minute video that shows the dwarves moving around and i think they get flooded with magma and stuff or whatever and it's like it, it it just describes what's happening and that's like how you show that video game at at a museum because they have they have video games at like the emp here in mm-hmm. seattle which is the, like the experience music project museum which has a lot of cool stuff if you get to seattle if you like want to see like david bowie labyrinth gear and stuff um great place to check it out but uh they have a video game section now and so you can play like porpentine games or whatever if you want to play like hmm. uh like um crystal warrior kesha or something you want to type <laughs> and and you can play those right because you just like click the commands and stuff right uh and um yeah zach and i sat down for interviews that they play on like the monitors in there so you can like uh that's that was kind of our, our little contribution to that one so yeah there's this whole kind of video games museum undercurrent to what happened too and there's like yeah it's just been a weird experience the whole thing like like we ran a Zach and I like ran a podcast with two two of the Bay Twelve volunteers, uh, Rain Seeker and Captain Tastic for uh, for years. Um, and that's that kind of we dropped off on that, but it's like uh, that was something I'd never anticipated doing. It's like the, <laughs> just all all sorts of stuff like uh, happens when you have a website, as I'm sure you're 
going to experience yourself, right? <laughs> right, exactly. And have you experienced any of that, like around your around where you live, um, right. people recognizing you? Yeah, yeah. There, it was, it was, it was like that. It's not like it's not like walking down the street as like a celebrity or anything. But <laughs> like the the first thing I remember, like okay, so there, there's a couple cross currents here because like a whole other sort of strange part of the Dwarf Fortress experience was around <laughs> say 2013. Like we had never met other game developers, right? We had mm-hmm. met, met, we'd started meeting the fans like around 2008 or something, or maybe earlier. We had a a Dwarf Fortress meetup with just 12 people, and we went to the Ivers, which is a, like a fish restaurant in, in Seattle, and and just had you know just had dinner with a bunch of Dwarf Fortress fans, and then <laughs> uh, that was cool. And then and then yeah. we did that again. We had it like a brewery with like 45 people, and and then you know, there was like a one that was sponsored, like the 10 year anniversary one, like a couple of years ago, was at at this you know, big board game store and we had a hundred people show uh-huh. up and there was like presentations and like the people from Bioware recorded themselves talking about Dwarf Fortress. And there was an introduction by Richard Garfield that made the Magic the Gathering card game or whatever. Oh, uh, wow. Just like, yeah, that was like, okay, um, that's that's like a weird trajectory. <laughs> but then along with that trajectory of like meeting people in Seattle stuff is like meeting game developers. We never met any game developers until like 2013 or something. And then... um I was on a PAX panel talking about procedural generation and met like at the Indie Mega Booth, I think was just starting at that time. And we met a bunch of independent game developers and they were all cool. Like we had only heard like the bad stories about people ripping each other off, which, you know, happens very rarely, but it happens. And then like just meet all these cool people. And it's like actually mm-hmm. awesome to meet all these game developers and stuff. And, um, like, so, so that was like a thing, right? Is like, we, we had our fans and we had like game industry contact people that we'd meet and stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. But then like Zach and I went to Seattle once just for his birthday. We're like, Hey, let's, let's just hang out in Seattle and go bar hopping and, uh, stay at a hotel for a day so we can kind of, you know, be in the city or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we went to this place called the upstairs, um, in, in, in Belltown in Seattle and, uh, just got some some drinks there, and then this this guy walked up to us and be like, "Hey, did you guys make Dwarf Fortress?" And uh, <laughs> you know, we must have been in it must have been from the videos or something from like one of these panels or from the one of these interviews or something, right? Because it's like mm-hmm. we're, our face is only in a few places. But we're like, yeah, you know, we made Dwarf Fortress, and so he bought us drinks, and we talked about. He's a physics grad student, so we talked about string theory for five hours or something (laughs) it's really weird and uh but uh yeah and that that was like one of the few times there was like a time i half count on the seattle ferry when we were going to pax where someone (laughs) recognized us or whatever but then like like um then there was it was like two weeks ago now or something (laughs) going to the subway like 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 that's a block from my apartment I go to the subway and just get a chicken sandwich or a turkey sandwich or whatever. And uh, <laughs> the, where I was just like, because the weather's been so bad, I was just like griping as I do in my friendly way to people. Cause I ramble all the time now. I'm just like, Oh yeah, you know, the weather, whatever I work at home <laughs> and I don't have air conditioning. So it's just terrible or whatever. And, uh, and he's like, Oh, where do you work? And I was like, Oh, or, or what do you do? Right. Cause it's like working at home. That's interesting. Or whatever. And I was like, Oh, I make video games. And he's like, Oh no way. He's like, what, what type of video games do you make? And I'm like, well, you know, it's, it's a really niche thing, you know, you probably haven't heard of it. Cause I'm like, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't make like, 
uncharted or whatever. So I'm like, I'm just not interesting that way. And uh, so, so, but he was like, no, I, I like niche games. And I'm like, well, okay, you know, have you heard of Dwarf Fortress? And he was like, well, yeah. Cause he's like, why would you bring up Dwarf Fortress or whatever? He's just like, well, yeah. And I was like, well, I made Dwarf Fortress. And he's like, oh shit. And yeah, and that's how I ended up with the, yeah, at Subway signing an autograph and taking a selfie with somebody. Um, and, uh, so that, yeah, that's, that's like part of my ongoing life. Cause I saw him again and I walked into the store and he's like, Hey, whatever. Oh so it's like, gosh. yeah, so that's my, that's my new life. Um, he's moving to Italy in like a week. Uh, so, um, wow. you know, that's like not my ongoing life either fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you like being like a local celebrity at your sandwich shop. But um, fortunately, no one else, as far as I know, knows about that. So I can go back to anonymity at my sandwich shop, um, at least until people listen to this podcast. Um, <laughs> and now and, they'll know that there's a subway near your house. So they'll know where to scope out. Yeah. And they'll look up my picture online and stuff. And yeah, <laughs> I'll be signing napkin autographs for the rest of my life. It'll be great. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> I love it, though. I, I feel like that's that's got to be a lot of fun, though, too, like. To feel like you you put in obviously so much of your own personal time <laughs> and having people recognize you know recognize a project of you know of that importance to you must feel pretty great too. Yeah, I mean that's it's 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 uh, no, it's a it's a cool feeling. Um, and uh, I mean just like I don't and I don't I mean I, it's hard to like self-diagnose what you know what's what's cool about it if it's like recognition or the fact that right. someone actually is playing these sort of games that we've been writing or whatever because we we went from kind of like zero to 60 on this right in terms of like knowing all these different people and stuff and so it's kind of hard to diagnose uh you know what the what the feelings are sometimes um definitely and uh, but it's it's been like a almost wholly positive ride I mean the parts that aren't positive are things like uh how do you set up a web page and what do you <laughs> what happens when there's downtime and your web page crashes and all that kind of like just technical stuff right mm -hmm. um but even that people have been super helpful like dwarf fortress would not in a million years have been on mac and linux were it not for volunteers right yeah. i mean we had people willing to like take the the like I, I Dwarf Fortress is not open source, and I haven't, I never gave the source to people that helped us port the game because I was just kind of paranoid that it would leak or whatever. It's like an NDA doesn't mean anything if the source is out there, right? It just doesn't matter, right? It's like it's just a risk I didn't want to take, and so I was like, I'm going to make a little game called Kobold Quest, um, which is, a, I mean, it's a neat little game. It's on the website. You can check it out. It's a very strange little game. <laughs> and uh but the thing about it is that it's an open source game using the dwarf fortress quote unquote engine and i I'm, what i basically said was if anyone wants to port this silly game kobold quest to mac and linux then and put it under a license where i can share your work with everybody so that people can just use it for whatever um then because I didn't want to feel like I was profiting off it or whatever. I mean, mm -hmm. even though I obviously am in a sense, uh, it's like uh, I'll do that. Right. If they if the volunteers come forward and the volunteers just came forward, um, one guy in particular, um, Bon was his his, uh, his uh, Internet name, uh, basically did this kind of laparoscopic surgery where it's like, here's Kobold Quest. You submit your port code to me. I'll plug it into Dwarf Fortress, 
run it on this like Mac mini that someone <laughs> bought me for $600 and like I've got this Mac mini. I still have the same Mac mini. I've been doing the same. The Dwarf Fortress Mac release has been on the same Mac for 10 years. Uh, despite the fact that they like deprecate the operating system and stuff. I mean, it's like hanging on by a tooth. I'll have to get a new Mac at some point. (laughs) And now my, my Linux computer died. Um, uh, I believe it was because scamps, the cat was rough with it. Um, This, this, this kind of thing happens, but He's just uh, playing. <laughs> that's, that's fine. Me I mean, it's, it's, it's just, yeah, it's just part of the price of cat ownership is the occasional <laughs> destruction of property and and uh, and your whole livelihood. Um, but uh, what people people did on that one is we managed to salvage the hard drive, and then I've got a like virtual Linux running in Windows now that they set up for me. And that oh. one that one compiles Linux inside of Windows, and then I take that file out of the virtual computer, which is like running on a little USB stick or whatever, and then uh, get all that together, run my Mac Mini, get that together, and then distribute that out. But that yeah, never would have happened without these these kind of community uh, connections that formed up. And the the bug tracker manager is run by six people um, that you know categorize the bugs and so forth and. Wow. there's there's um yeah it's it's really cool that's awesome and have you have you guys been approached by like any like gaming companies or publishers or anyone that was wanting to you know help you guys out um yeah i mean there's there's been a lot of kind of like it's just all sort of individual cases right i mean it's just i'm not gonna not gonna name name anybody mm-hmm. or whatever but it's like uh we someone wanted to have the dwarf fortress name for a project uh that they were working on that was going to be called just x but they wanted to call it dwarf fortress colon x and um we you know it's like it's one of these weird things where it's like the numbers that they were offering didn't equal like you know more than a couple years pay which is like Mm -hmm. it sounds like well you shouldn't shake a stick at that or however that idiom goes uh you should Maybe take the couple years salary to tack your name on something. But we're like, well, we wanted to work on Dwarf Fortress. That's our main thing. And if they had given us like, you know, a, a, a lot of money, then we would have done it because we've been working on Dwarf Fortress and wouldn't have to like inconvenience people by begging for money. But it's like this halfway case is like, are people going to say like, oh, a bunch of sellouts or whatever, mm-hmm. Dwarf Fortress colon, whatever, you know, are we going to fail, right? once this money runs out or whatever. And so like just decided not, not to go for that. And then as far as like Dwarf Fortress goes, there hasn't been like offers to like just buy it and sell it. And I think people just kind of, kind of see it for what it is now. It's just a strange project being worked on by strange people. And if they want to use it like as inspiration, then you can point at like any of number of games that have been inspired Mm -hmm. by Dwarf Fortress now um, all across the like gamut of, games in the industry and they just do it that way right i mean and and that's that's all cool right that's just how games work we were inspired by a bunch of games and it's cool to be able to kind of pass that along to to whoever wants to write games and then the only other approaches have been things like do you want to work here or something and it's like well no (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of horror stories out there about working for other people yeah 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 no more of that no more working for people 
if you can <laughs> but help since it. When have you really worked for somebody else? I think, and I think that's what's amazing to me is I feel like you've kind of been on this journey your whole life, and so it's like you've. This has just been your life. Maybe it's not even a journey, you know, like this has just been your experience and you've been able to really, I'm assuming you love what you're doing, you know, like, so you've been able to just do what you love just through sheer force of will. It really seems like, um, (laughs) I can't even imagine the motivation needed. Yeah. Well, push on. It's hard. It's like, what is the motivation to like read cool books at night? Right. Cause it was like, mm-hmm. we grew up, we grew up with this stuff. And so it like, it doesn't feel like the, there's a motivation issue or whatever. When you, when you read about like, how do you keep yourselves motivated? How do you work from home and all that stuff? It's like, well, I've been working from home since I was a six year old. If you want to count <laughs> what I've been doing or whatever, it's not, it's not work. And that like that advice yeah. is not useful for people particularly, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's like to try and change your whole makeup or frame of mind. I mean, it's possible to do that maybe, but it's like it's 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 sort of a tall order to to reframe things that way. And then like the the part after that is just like, you know, we were slogging with the website for a long time. We had you know, various sort of um uh safety nets under us in terms of like work or whatever right it's like the math thing math thing was basically like water flowing downhill for me for long enough that I could kind of make it work as a full-time job but also have the rest of the full-time uh to work on 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 games still mm-hmm. and um so it's like I'm not a person who tells people like hey run out and quit your day job right now and mortgage, <laughs> mortgage your house and go make video games it's like I I did have a point where I quit my job and it was not like a, a a decision that was like I didn't have a safety net at that point really. I mean I had I could go back and live with my parents. I have that much of a safety net, but I didn't have like a lot of money or anything like that and I didn't have a house to sell or anything and I just didn't care. There was like a point right <laughs> like like it's, it's I mean it's it's like there's there's, there's a certain little piece of the story that was like total self-destruction or whatever in that sense or or kind of a uh not giving a fuck attitude anymore <laughs> or whatever right it's mm-hmm. it's like it's not um and that's not a that's not a way to to live but if you're at that point you'll know that you're at that point you will go ahead and do it because I wouldn't be able to stop you right yeah. so i mean that's that's just part of the story um, is occasionally taking a leap like that. Um, mm-hmm. The fewer, the, the fewer, the better, though, right? <laughs> like... Right. They're not particularly <laughs> comfortable, so maybe don't put yourself through it too often. But it, I mean, it worked out for you. you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's like this this whole thing about like like putting yourself out there, having a public a public persona to catch your opportunities when they come by. I mean, if we didn't have this weird. PayPal button that they that I, <laughs> I put up for my birthday before Dwarf Fortress was released just because one of these 200 people that had kind of been following the Armok project was like, hey, uh, I want to give you some money for your birthday. You've been working hard on this game for six years or whatever. And that was nice, right? And so he gave me You're 75 like, uh, bucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I'll take your $75 and I'll go out and like buy coffee and stuff. I'm just gonna, I'll have a coffee party and it'd be great. <laughs> and uh it's it's like and that button was just there. I put it on the web page so he could use it, right? <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. and then it was there and I made like another, you know, 
hundred bucks or something in the intervening form or the the four months up until the release. But then when Dwarf Fortress came out, it's like I had a web page, I had a PayPal button, I had eight hundred dollars. Right? It's like uh, you you have these things in place, and that's why I mean it's like there's there's probably some reason not to have a Patreon or something, but. You know, on the other hand, everyone in the world can go out and get a Patreon now uh, that mm-hmm. is allowed on the website. I'm sure there are certain countries where it doesn't work or whatever. I don't mean to to say that everyone can do it, but um, it's like there is like if you're making stuff and you want people to like have an outlet for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's one thing to do. I mean, it's it's like having your little jar out there, and I I've got one. It works. I've got one. Yeah, that's cool. Guilty. It's like, an, and well, if I mean, you, it's yeah. great. Yeah, no. If one of your and if one of your episodes blows up or whatever and gets passed around just because some some random person tweets you and then suddenly that gets retweeted and suddenly you're mm-hmm. sitting on like a fifteen thousand tweet episode, then suddenly having that Patreon suddenly means that you're getting like you know another couple hundred bucks a month or something, right? And mm-hmm. then that stuff sticks for way longer than it should. <laughs> it's like people just kind of fire and forget. I have Patreons that I sort of fire and forgot on right myself. Mm-hmm. And um, like, so there, there's this kind of this, this uh, general philosophy that we followed that wasn't, I mean, it's not like it works for everybody or whatever. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's almost like Kevin Costner's field of dreams or something where it's like, if you build it, <laughs> if you build it they'll come or whatever. But that's like, I mean, it's a hard thing to say in like the age of like oversaturated indie games, which we kind of predated, right? Mm-hmm. When we were in, out there in 2006. Now there's like, what, like thousand games being released every day or something ridiculous like that. It's, it's absolutely just, bonkers. And uh, yeah, and you just can't tell like what, you know, it's hard to hard to stick your head out and say, hey, come over here. But it's like having those things in place lets you lets you like catch opportunities that come along and, and it streamlines there's a lot of streamlining and of the process i feel like that's that's available for people that you know you didn't have the opportunity to take advantage of i think like if you look at like the modern indie market and the way that you know there's so many people looking for indie games specifically i think now then maybe in the last, you know, maybe five years ago. Yeah. And I mean, if I, if I wanted to plunk myself in kind of the middle of how it was, it's like the, the people that came right before me, like say Tom Proudfoot, who made some really cool, um, kind of evolutions of, 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 of like these sort of, uh, role-playing games. So he made like Knacklock and Natuck or whatever these kind of weirdly named games. But, but, uh, he was selling physical CDs that he had to mail to people. Uh, he, he had a website, but PayPal didn't exist, right? Mm-hmm. So he was, you know, doing credit cards himself and all that kind of thing. And the people right before him were like going into Egghead Software with baggies and begging to sell like your baggie, <laughs> your baggie with your floppy disk in it and, you know, getting a cut. Can I just like set this on the cash register and get a cut or whatever? And like... And then, and, and like some people made it through that and some people didn't like Jeff Vogel from Spiderweb software has gone through like the whole process. He's, he's been around for, I don't know, something like 10 years longer than I've been going or something like that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he was doing the card swipes, but now he does the internet. Now he, now he like puts his games on steam and GOG and stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, now you've, you know, he just gets sales there and it, it works, you know, better than ever for him. Cause he, 
has you know his, some recognition so his his head sticks about above you know the 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 um the clouds the cloud yeah 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 because i wouldn't want to call it chaff because there's a lot of good games that are getting ignored mm-hmm. right it's like it's 100%. just the yeah it's just like the whole the whole group of people there and um you know at the same time when you look forward uh from where i'm at um it's like because I had PayPal to just barely carry me through, but now people have not just Patreon, but they have Steam and they have mm-hmm. the Humble and they have GOG and they have Itch or whatever, right? That they can just put their games up. But they also have things like Unity or whatever, right? So it's like you can just make a game or you have Twine. You can just make a game or you can sign up with like, you know, uh, any of the, the, the kind of uh, more dedicated services or something of your doing using like inkle writer or you're using um, choice of games platform something like that right there's all kinds of stuff Mm -hmm. and uh, lots of different ways to get into it and that's all cool right so it's like you just have to try to adapt to the environment you're in you know whether the you know might be the money that's hard to get and the distribution is a little easier the distribution's hard but you have like a a a kind of niche group of fans that are really going to support you you have to find your strengths and mm-hmm. notice them and try and capitalize on it and then sit there and slog for six years until you get lucky or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that you and your brother have done a fantastic job at just that. that yeah. And, that's, and that's Dwarf Fortress sure. is and, and Dwarf Fortress <laughs> is a really a, a testament of that. And I think that you guys continuing to make games the way that you want to to make games um, is really admirable as well. Because I've personally talked with people who were developing games in in the 80s and the 90s um, for major publishers, um, and they were miserable. Like they say, like they know people who have PTSD from working in those like traditional dev jobs, you know, like, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it's, and it's not, it's not like that's really changed either. Exactly. It's still, that environment is still very much alive (laughs) in modern development as well, too. Modern, like it was that long ago. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Modern in the, if you look at the scale of uh, technology, I guess. Yeah, and just the number of people involved, too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, was there anything else that you wanted to mention about Dwarf Fortress before we finish up? Um, well, I don't know. Go to Bay12Games.com. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and there will definitely be links to Bay12 and the social media channels in which you can follow. Um, I'm not sure if you or your brother have personal ones or if you guys just kind of use the Bay12 one. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm on the Bay12 Games Twitter uh, mm-hmm. and that's both that's kind of I mean it's, I'm in the weird position of that being both a personal and business mm-hmm. account I just don't really use it for personal stuff that often mm-hmm. Zach Zach has his his own Twitter but I'm I mean it's a really personal Twitter so I don't know if he really wants me screaming about I'll it res- I'll respect his privacy I suppose <laughs> <laughs> I don't even yeah I, well the, I mean the part of the problem is no. I don't remember what the handle is it's like remembering <laughs> someone's phone number because he doesn't tweet right really right, he tweet right. he tweets out occasionally pictures of the crayon drawing because uh, that's a, that's another thing to mention about Dwarf Fortress I guess because yes. it's 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 a free game but if you uh, contribute uh, we can send you a story that my brother will write you uh, like a few, a few, par- a few paragraphs with a little ASCII illustration at the top, uh, or we can send you a crayon drawing. And those, uh, we just did that um, on uh, 
on what Wednesday was yesterday. So we did this yes. yesterday. In fact, we went up to my grandma's house and uh, did 14 crayon drawings. <laughs> uh, normally you can see Seattle from my grandma's house um, across the water. Uh, it's cool, but uh, not not yesterday because of the smoke from the fires. Oh, um, yeah. Can't even see Seattle from there. Uh, the air quality has been absolutely terrible. But um, in any case, we did these crayon drawings. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and I'll be ma mailing those out shortly. Um, and so that's, yeah, it's just like if, if you like the little feely stuff like that. That's uh, I love that. I so. I think that's like my favorite thing of everything. Uh, well, <laughs> in, that, in that same um, YouTube video, which I'll have um, the, the video I'm talking about uh, in the show notes, along with links to Bay 12 games and the social media and all of that. Um, but but in, in Christian's video where he has you guys like he just recorded y'all doing the crayon drawings. <laughs> like <laughs> I just I I'm all about the personal touch. And I, I and I just think that's my favorite thing. How long have y'all been doing that for? Oh, wow. Um, I, I think since around 2008 or nine because oh it was that. it was really weird how it started like i i because <laughs> i did like the thing was and this is this is how all the bay 12 game stuff works right it's like <laughs> i i have the paypal thing right and mm -hmm. so paypal sends back a confirmation notice uh when someone gives you 10 bucks or whatever and so i i wanted to just send my own nice thank you note because it has the email right so it's hey like hey thanks and then I got bored just writing, hey, thanks. So I wrote like a little ASCII at sign and like a C. And then I was like, the sheriff of your fort's about to be attacked by a crocodile or something, right? That's all it said. <laughs> and I just wrote these silly little like signatures to my PayPal emails. And then uh, Zach, who's like actually a writer or whatever, was like, um, you know, wanted to, you know, have some more stuff to fiddle with, with mm -hmm. Bay 12 or whatever. And so... I was like, well, just send me a longer story and we can send it to these people or whatever. And then we started just sending them automatically with every every PayPal donation. We'd send like a little paragraph story. And then uh, that eventually changed into like an elective thing because it got <laughs> to be like too much work, like which is the position you want to be in. It's definitely in the category of like problems you want to have. Right. It, right. It's like too many too many rewards for people that are sending you money. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, you know, now we'll just say like, do you want us to send you in one of these things? And that that's really all it took to make the numbers manageable. Even in the, in the, in the Patreon days where we have like 2000 people, it's like, it's still manageable. Um, and what event, what happened though, was back with the PayPal, like PayPal would send not just their email address, but it would send just because of how PayPal worked back then, it would send you a shipping address. And I was like, it just it's just just like the having to write mm -hmm. them an email back just started bugging me. It bugged me that I had this shipping address and wasn't like fiddling with it somehow. And so I was like, well, we could like send them drawings or something. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, we we just put that as an option all of a sudden on the I, I don't I've got to go back and find the first time we did that because it's all sitting in my Gmail. Right. It's just going to be sitting there like. Like the first, the very first time we wrote to somebody and said like, Hey, you want to try? <laughs> and it's possible it. like, like, yeah. I mean, and maybe, oh gosh, some of this stuff is sourced by the community though. So I'm, I'm like wondering if I'm getting my streams crossed. Cause I like definitely saw the addresses and I'm definitely like thought from that time, but it, it could also be someone asked us to send them something the first time. Cause we've, we've sent people like pieces of, um, 
of uh, it's funny that there there's a microcline is just kind of weird sounding um, mineral, but it's also like this bright uh, cyan color that bothers mm-hmm. people. Just like orthoclase is this bright yellow color that bothers people in the game. So we actually have mailed like little bits of microcline to people. <laughs> um, it's just all this strange stuff that's happened in the course of this this development. But but uh, so over the years, since we've been doing that for so long, we've sent, uh, I believe it's something like 2,500 stories and just under 2,000 crayon drawings um, to people. we got to bump that number to over 2,000. To Easy. people all over the world, uh, we've sent them to. Uh, my mom used to keep like a uh, a world map where she would put pins of <laughs> where we sent these things, um, and it's really they've been all over the place. Um, uh, most countries I can think of off the top of my head that aren't like. Uh, yeah, no, there's certain holes like. Um, most countries in Africa and like most of the stands mm-hmm. uh, no, but I mean, they've definitely gone to Thailand and Vietnam, India, mm-hmm. South Korea, Japan, wow. uh, all those countries, South Africa, Egypt, um, Australia, Israel and um, Turkey and every country in Europe. Except for Li- I don't think I've sent one to Lichtenstein. Do you I'm thinking think we that, need to get a player in Lichtenstein? I'm sure there is one. Do you think that if we asked people to tweet me pictures of their drawings, they would do it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to yeah, yeah. cake bites because I really want to see these drawings, and I also really want to see the people who love to play Dwarf Fortress too. But I really want to see the drawings mostly. Yeah. Because <laughs> what it is are this in the stories I, too? Like. <laughs> Yeah, and if and if you want to see like it's I mean the social interaction part of that like getting them to talk about them is like the big part of that, but you can definitely see a lot if you're if you're just like listening now. You can see a lot of the drawings if you do like a Google image search for like Dwarf Fortress grand drawings. You'll find <laughs> some. And also on the Dwarf Fortress wiki, people have been posting their stories. There's like a page on the Dwarf Fortress wiki that has hundreds of stories on it uh oh, that wow. have been posted. I'll make um, sure to include that in the show notes for sure. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's. Uh, I'm I'm sure there's other things I've missed, but that <laughs> that's that's what I remember uh, in terms of how strange rewards. Because there was one, like I think the microcline thing came out of like one of the Dwarf Fortress meetups was down in Redding, California. We wanted to mm-hmm. have a few people be able to drive in that weren't going to make it to the Seattle one, and so we went down to Redding. And just because it's Dwarf Fortress, we're like, hey, let's all go to like a cave like the like in Mount Shasta Park or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we went into this cave and we you could get minerals from the the big buckets they had there, like at the guest, the gift shop or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they had like I believe they had a big microcline bucket. Um, I could be completely mistaking this with a impulse purchase or something where we got it <laughs> online just to troll people with microcline in their in their envelopes. But um, as I recollect, time. yeah, or someone shows up with a giant bag of microcline because that could have happened too. There's yeah, I, I think like memory is really unreliable now when you come to <laughs> come to these these all the all the possible pasts that I've lived in where dwarf fortress fans or other weird things have happened that caused microcline to come into my possession. All I know is that I have a big bag of it still. Your procedurally generated memories? Yes. Yes. It's, it's <laughs> 
It's one of the things that's really hard to do, actually, doing like um, thoughts that people can talk about that aren't true and then having people remember that and then pass that around because you can imagine the data just layering on top of itself mm -hmm. as it spreads throughout the networks. I mean, we tried to do that with the, the identities for the secret agents. That's like the one untrue thing you can tell someone now is like your name and your job. Like, oh, no, no, I, I, I'm actually, you know, working in town as a clothes maker when you're actually a spy from a different civilization. Or whatever. <laughs> and uh, that 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 alone by itself took months to do and was just a mess. So we're like, maybe people will just not be able to lie to each other about other stuff. Uh, <laughs> well, it's like, yeah, I guess there's this other thing where it's like, what is the what is the Japanese idiom about like a rumor lasting 75 days or something? I could just delete false data after a time or something like that. But that doesn't that doesn't work in certain. Ah, yeah, you don't want to hear me yammering on about because <laughs> I yeah. Is that getting like a stream of consciousness? Yeah, that's how it works. That's just that's my whole life. Basically, is sitting here <laughs> thinking about random dwarf fortress problems, and then <laughs> Zach thinking about random dwarf fortress problems, getting together over coffee, hashing out random dwarf fortress problems, and then I sit in front of the computer and like take the little nuggets we've come up with that are actually doable, and then put them in the computer. And then Scamp just comes by. Yes, he's trouble. Gets you distracted. I, he, well, that's the th even after I took that Linux drive and put it into an external hard drive enclosure so I can hook it up for the virtual machine mm -hmm. on Windows or whatever, Scamps has jumped up on that desk and pitched that thing right on the floor. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it's Linux in particular that he has a problem with, um, but he's he's yeah. It's been at least three times that the operating system has come under attack. He gets that's mad when he loses in Scrabble to anyone who uses an X. <laughs> No, the the biggest trick he ever pulled was somehow like lounging his fat little gut on my mouse <laughs> and selected my entire desktop. And then somehow it's not really a surprise because my mouse is on the right hand side. The left button is there and he just needs to lounge on that to like drag a window, right? Or drag uh -huh. a rectangle. And then, of course, with the, the kind of number pad over on the right, the delete key is right the there <laughs> and and like it's like so I, I i walked away from my computer i come back and there's a my entire desktop is selected and there's a window on the screen that's saying like are you sure you want to delete these files and so i was like no no i don't want to delete these files and i'm lucky because the enter is right next to the delete on my keyboard <laughs> if he had just like shifted his mass just a little bit i would have lost everything oh man scams he's just trying to live his best life He's troubled. He's troubled, though. <laughs> oh, my gosh, Tarn. Thank you so much for talking with me again. I really appreciate you taking the time, considering we talked for two and a half hours last week also. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, and don't forget to take a look at CakeBites.com for links to show notes from today's episode, as well as links to the social media where you can find me, Tarn, and Bay 12 Games. Don't forget to subscribe and review the show on whatever podcaster it is that you prefer to listen on, and I'll see you next time.